the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable Knowing that you cannot find them all And if you listen carefully And sometimes even if you don't You can hear that sound Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. And listen, God is the one who's holding on to us. And yes, we're holding on to Him and we're clinging to Christ, but we're weak. And so it's, it's more important that God is holding on to us because He's the one that's strong. We're the ones who are weak. He's holding us. And He says here in verse 13, Don't be afraid. I'll help you. I'll hold your, your right hand. Just give, give me your hand. I'll hold on to you. Did you know that God is holding on to you? In today's message from Pastor Dan, he teaches you that God holds you in his right hand. If you are feeling like you are in a rocky season, God is reassuring you that he upholds you. Pastor Dan reminds you that we are weak, but it is God who is strong. Therefore, don't fear the season you are in. God is with you and will give you the strength that you need to endure it. Keep clinging to Christ and He will faithfully lead you to where you need to go. God is your rock and firm foundation. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Verse 9 you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servants. I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. He reminds them as they're in captivity as slaves, he reminds them, I haven't cast you away. I haven't cast you away. Even though they're slaves in Babylon, that doesn't mean God has cast them away even though things are very discouraging for them right now, they're still God's people. They're still His chosen. They're, you know, they're in Babylon because of their sin and because of their unrepentance. The Lord is chastening them, but He hasn't forsaken them. He hasn't cast them away. He hasn't nullified His covenant with them. They're still His. They're still His chosen people. Now, why does he say this to them? Because in Babylon, they felt forsaken. In Babylon, they felt like God had forgotten them. And that God had abandoned them. But what God does here is he assures them that he has not forsaken them, that he hasn't thrown them away, and that he hasn't forgotten them. And listen, you know, as well as I do, that sometimes we face circumstances in life that are very difficult and very discouraging And in those circumstances, sometimes we wonder, has God seen me? Or has God forsaken me? 
Or is God against me? Is God angry with me? Does God hear me? Now, they were in Babylon for 70 years. And sometimes we can, we can get to that place where, you know, does God hear my prayer? Does God even care? Is God ignoring me? And when we get to that place of discouragement, where we start doubting God like that or questioning God, that's when we have to go back to what the Word of God says to us about God. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us. We're promised that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. These are the promises that He makes to us in His Word. And just because you go through a difficult season or a trial and you feel discouraged, that doesn't mean that God's cast you away. That doesn't mean you're no longer His. Uh, In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 11 about God's relationship with the children of Israel, the Jewish people. And he says there in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the calling of God is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. God doesn't forsake his people. He, He doesn't change his mind about us after he's called us, once we've blown it. God will never withdraw his calling from Israel. It's irrevocable. We've, we've seen in our Sunday morning study in the book of Revelation how the nation of Israel and the Jewish people play a very central role in the end times during the tribulation period. God's not finished with the Jewish people. His calling upon them as a nation is irrevocable. And God's calling on your life and my life, it's irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't cast us away. We're secure in Christ. No matter what our circumstances may be, we're still a child of God. He purchased you and he purchased me with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's paid the highest possible price for you. He's not going to just cast you away or toss you aside or give up on you. So here the Lord is saying to the children of Israel who will be in this captivity in Babylon, He's saying to them, you're still my people. You're still my chosen. I still have this covenant with you. I haven't cast you away just because your circumstances are hard. Doesn't mean I've forsaken you. And then He says in verse 10, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, he says this to people who are in slavery in Babylon. What a comfort it must have been to them to read these words of Isaiah and be reminded that God is with them and that God is still their God and that God will help them. There's hope. There's hope. There's more to come. Babylon isn't going to be the end. For the children of Israel. Now, Jeremiah the prophet also wrote to the children of Israel when they were in their captivity. And in Jeremiah 29 11, the Lord says to his people who are in captivity, I know the plans I have for you, and they're plans for good. They're, not, they're, they're to bring you to a good end, not, not to bring disaster, to give you a future and a hope. 
And he says that to people who are in captivity, who are slaves. And God reminds them and says to them, hey, it it may not look like I have got a plan, but I know the plan I have. I know what I'm doing. I haven't forgotten you. And my plan for you is good. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's a good plan. It's a plan not to bring you to disaster. It's a plan to give you a future and a hope. There's a future. There's a hope beyond Babylon. Just like for you and me, you know, God's, God's working out His plan in our lives, and sometimes that plan includes a trial, and it includes difficulty, and sometimes we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and sometimes it, it can feel hopeless, and we can feel despair. But God would say to you, I know the plan I have for you. I, you know, He's not making it up as He goes along. He's got a future, He's got a hope, He's got a destination that He's taking us to, and He's going to get us there. And the plan for Israel was to deliver them out of Babylon through Cyrus the king and to bring them back into their own land. So he's got this this bright future for them. And now verse 11. Verse 11, God begins to speak of this future that he has for his people. Look at verse 11. Behold, all those who were incensed against you, notice future tense, shall be ashamed and disgraced. This is part of the plan he's got. They shall be, future tense, as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. It's all future tense. This is, he's going to take care of all of the enemies in the future. All those who strive against you shall perish. All those who strive against Israel shall perish. And hasn't that proven to be true throughout history? that all the nations that strive against Israel eventually perish. But Israel still exists. The Jewish people are still here. They still have their language. They still have their culture. They still have their religion. Since 1948, they've got their own land again. But all of the nations throughout history that have come against Israel, they've perished. You know, you haven't met any Assyrians. You haven't met any Babylonians. You haven't met any Romans. You know, you could go all throughout history and all these nations that have come against Israel and they've all perished. God has been faithful to his people throughout their history. And he says here in verse 12, these nations that that will come against you, he says, you shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord, your God, Look what it says. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. I love verse 13. I like that the Lord says, I will hold your hand. And he does not say, you hold on to my hand. He does not say, you hold on to my hand. As long as you hold on to my hand, you'll be okay, and I'll, I'll safely see you through. No, the Lord says, I'll hold on to your hand. Now, when my kids were much younger, you know, quite often I would take their hand if we were trying to cross a, a street or if we were in a crowd of people and I didn't want to lose them in the crowd. I would take their hand. And at, yes, at the same time, they were holding my hand, but more importantly, I was holding their hand. Right? And what kept them safe and secure was the fact that I was holding their hand. Not that they were holding my hand. 
but that I was holding their hand. And it was, it was my strength that got them across the street or through the crowd. It wasn't, it wasn't their ability to hold on to my hand. It was my ability to hold on to their hand. And listen, God is the one who's holding on to us. And yes, we're holding on to Him and we're clinging to Christ, but we're weak. And so it's, it's more important that God is holding on to us because He's the one that's strong. We're the ones who are weak. He's holding us. And He says here in verse 13, don't be afraid. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We'll have more from this message in a moment. But first, we'd like to tell you about an exciting resource available this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you more. Christmas can be a very busy time of year for most of us, and in our busyness, we can forget the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. So my wife, Cameron, wrote a wonderful daily devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple devotional is written for women and is designed to help you keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas season. We would be happy to mail you a copy as our thank you for your investment of any amount in this daily radio ministry. To receive your copy of 31 Days of December, visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. Now, let's finish today's message. I'll help you. I'll hold your your right hand. Just give, give me your hand. I'll hold on to you. Now, look what he says in verse 14. He says, Fear not, you worm, <laughs> Jacob. Don't be afraid, you worm. You're just a worm. You're nothing. I'm, I'm holding on to you. Don't be afraid. I'll hold you. You're just a worm. I'm not, you're nothing. You're nobody. Now, if you're a note taker in Psalm 22, verse 6, Psalm, Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm, and it describes Jesus Christ on the cross. And it describes specifically the the thoughts that were going through his mind while he was on the cross. And in Psalm 22, verse 6 there, Jesus says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Jesus identified himself as a worm. I'm nothing. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, it says, although he he was God, He humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation, becoming a man, taking on the form of a man. And for God to become a man, he he became nothing. He emptied himself. He became a worm. Jesus on the cross is thinking, I'm a worm. I'm no man. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. You've got nothing, Jacob, but you've got God. You men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. You know, 13 times Isaiah refers to God as the Redeemer, the Redeemer of Israel. Why? Israel needs redemption. Israel needs a Redeemer, just like you and me. We need a Redeemer to redeem us to rescue us, to pay the price for us, to get us out of the trouble that we've gotten ourselves in by our sin. Now look what he says. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. 
You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Israel, he says, you're just a worm. You're nothing. But I will make you into this threshing sledge. I will make you strong. I will make you powerful. I will help you and enable you to defeat the nations that have come against you and just thresh them like you're threshing wheat. But it's all the Lord. It's all to the glory of God because they're, they're nothing. They're powerless, just like us. It's all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, everything that we are, it's all to the glory of God. We're nobodies. We're nothing. Verse 17, the poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. Notice the, how often the Lord says, I, the Lord, hear. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, the desert, and the dry land springs of water. Here here God says, these are all the things I'm going to do. I'll I'll make the desolate areas, the desert areas, a place of refreshing for my people. Haven't you experienced that? Where God makes the desolate places a place of refreshing. You know, where, you're, where maybe you go through a, a difficult season in life, but you experience this refreshment from the Holy Spirit. You experience this communion with the Lord and this closeness with the Lord as you walk through that, that difficult time. And in a strange way, the desolate place becomes a place of refreshment for you. That's what he says he's going to do with Israel. He doesn't say that he's going to deliver them out of the desert. So I'll just remove you out of the desert. And he says, I'll put springs of water in the desert for you. So you can survive there. And how often, you know, when we go through a trial, our prayer is like, just get us out of this. Just deliver me. And sometimes the Lord says, I'm not, I'm not going to deliver you, but I'm, I'm going to bring refreshment to you in the midst of that trial. I'm going to strengthen you so that you can handle that trial. He says in verse 19, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle, the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together. Uh, the desert was, was very harsh and so what does God do? Again, he doesn't say, I'll, just, I'll remove you out of that situation. I'll remove the harshness. No, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll bring some trees. I'll plant some trees so you have some shade. So you can get some relief in the desert. But you're staying in the desert. <laughs> Verse 20. And he's going to do all this that Israel may see and know and consider and understand together that it's the hand of the Lord that has done this. They're just worms. It's the hand of the Lord that has done this, and the Holy One of Israel has created it. It's all the Lord. Now, verse 21, we kind of go back into the courtroom again. And again, the Lord challenges these other gods to make their case, to present some evidence that proves their gods. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king, of Jacob, 
Let them bring forth and show us. Now what, notice what he says. What will happen? Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. It's interesting what the Lord says here in verse 22 to these, to these idols, to these false gods. He says, prove that you are gods. He says, prove to us that you're gods by telling us what happened long ago. Tell us what happened long ago. Tell us where the universe came from. Tell us where the earth came from. Tell us where life came from. Tell us where people came from. Tell us why we're here. Tell us where, give us the evidence. Tell us what happened and we'll consider the evidence, God says. And in a way, what he's saying here also is he's challenging us to examine his creation account that he gives us in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. And he he says, examine it. See if the evidence supports what I say. And the fact is, When you look at the evidence, you look at the scientific evidence, you look at the fossil evidence, it supports the account of Genesis. There's there's multitudes of scientists, secular scientists, not necessarily Christian scientists, secular scientists who are agreeing with the biblical account of creation and saying that the evidence points to that and agrees with that, the scientific evidence. And so God says here, hey, Tell us what happened in the past. Explain our origin. Or, he says, declare to us things to come. Prophesy. Prophesy. See, the God of the Bible proves that he is real by explaining to us where we came from. All scientists can offer you is theory about where we came from. They weren't there. They can't give you scientific evidence of where we came from because scientific evidence has to be observable. And nobody was there to observe it but God. And so God proves that he's God. The God of the Bible proves that he's God by telling us where we came from and where we're going. He tells us about our past and he tells us about our future. And there's no other God that does that. And here he's in a courtroom and he lays out this challenge and says, if you're God, prove it. Tell us where we came from and tell us where we're going, and we'll weigh the evidence and see if it's so. Verse 23, Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. He, He says, do good or do evil. In other words, do something. Do something that proves that you're a God. If you're God, do something. Whether it's good or bad, it doesn't. Just do something that shows us that you're God. But indeed, you are nothing. And your work is nothing. And he who chooses you, it is an abomination. Now in verse 25, he says, I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as though mortar and as the potter treads Clay and, and this is also speaking of Cyrus. Back in verse 2, we saw that Cyrus comes from the east. He comes from Persia. But when the Persian army invades Israel, they're going to invade coming down from the north. So he comes from both the east and the north to invade Israel. He asked me how I know. 
That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of His life and ministry, from His virgin birth to His sacrificial death to His resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes It's true.